Kindled Podcast is brought to you by the generous support of our donors. If you want to join them in making this show possible, visit kindledpodcast.com slash give. Welcome back to another episode of Kindled Podcast, a show about work, motherhood, and the grace we need for both. I'm your host, Haley Williams. Join me as I talk with women just like you. They are entrepreneurs, corporate employees, stay-at-home moms, and everything in between. We chat about work, mom life, and how God's grace is transforming us through our unique and beautiful stories. Love for God and perseverance for our assignments is kindled in our hearts as we look to Him and preach the gospel to ourselves and each other. We are making and being made. Come join us. Hey guys, welcome back to Kindled. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and you're listening to episode 56. Today, I'm going to be talking with a friend and uh, a mentor, someone who's becoming a mentor for me in the area of redemptive parenting. Her name is Kristen Hatton. Kristen and I talk about what it means to parent redemptively and how we can do this really in every stage of life and in every situation. As I was re-listening to this episode, actually, I do that with every episode before it airs just to make sure it sounds good, I honestly found myself taking mental notes from our own conversation, from the conversation I was a part of, but hearing it again did not make it any less timely and pertinent for me as a mom. This The conversation that we had, the, the, the things that Chris and I talk about in this episode are things that I bet you are facing on a daily basis, parenting um, and you know parenting for the outcome or the behavior modification and not thinking about the heart. So I really encourage you to listen to this one. It's, it's going to be well worth the investment of your time. But before we get into the conversation that Chris and I had, I want to tell you about today's sponsors. The first one is SEO Made Simple. If you have a website and it is a Squarespace website, you do not want to miss out on the SEO for Squarespace Masterclass this Thursday with Meg Clark. Now, guys, having a beautiful website is awesome, but if it's not getting found, it really doesn't help your business a whole lot. So if you are struggling to bring in the amount of leads that you need or want to amp up your business in this new year, you need to hop on to this masterclass with Meg and learn all of the things. Meg was a guest on Kindled. You can listen to her episode a few episodes back, and she's also given Kindled listeners a coupon code for $25 off the price tag. So you can go to seomadesimple.co and sign up. And when you use the coupon code Kindled, you will get $25 off the $99 price tag, making it, what is that, $74? Yes. There's no way you can get that kind of teaching for that amount of money um, from someone who is as engaging and fun and easy to learn from as Meg. Trust me, I've been to one of her masterclasses. She's awesome. That's March 28th, and you can sign up at seomadesimple.co. The next sponsor I want to tell you about is Prep Dish. So you guys probably know already, they offer you these done-for-you meal plans where you can prep all of your meals in one afternoon, say Sunday afternoon. It takes you about two hours. Um, you probably already know they give you the grocery list with everything that you need to buy to make those recipes so you're not overspending and buying a ton of vegetables that you don't end up eating and throwing away the green beans that are moldy. Again, that happens to me almost every time I buy green beans. I don't know what the problem is. Actually, I should probably just stop buying green beans. But with Prep Dish, that just stops being an issue. 
Okay, but the coolest new thing that I just realized PrepDish had was this super fast menu. The super fast menu only takes you one hour to prep for the entire week of meals instead of two. So let's say you have a busy Sunday, you can go to that super fast menu and find items that will not take as long to prep. This week I'm making my family Greek chicken salad, salmon over sauteed spinach with mushrooms and feta, and slow cooker beef barbacoa. I am super excited for that one. Don't take my word for it. Just try it out for yourself. Go to prepdish.com slash kindled and get two weeks of meal plans completely free. All right. Now for my conversation with Kristen. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to be chatting with you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to visit with you. I've enjoyed following you on Instagram. Well, thank you. So you are, I want you to actually introduce yourself and tell us what you do, what you're like title, specialty expertise is, and a little bit about you and introduce yourself and your family. Okay, sure. Well, currently I'm a student. I just started graduate school. So this is a new path that I am on, but um, I'm an author and a speaker. Um, I have three books out for teenagers and I have three teenagers. My Actually, my oldest is 20. So she's in college and then I've got two boys in high school. Um, I'm a pastor's wife. I live in Edmond, Oklahoma. And my, I would have never dreamt that I would be a writer or a speaker or going back to school to get a counseling degree. But my passion for teenagers and families has just grown through my journey of parenting my own kids and leading a Bible study for my daughter for seven years from the time she was in middle school through um, graduation. Mm, that's really cool. Where are you seeing God's grace in your life right now? Mm, yeah. Okay. So, um, several things Lear- first of all, learning to be okay when things aren't okay. Um, because the reality is things a lot of times are not okay. And, and that's hard. It's hard for us to live in a place where, um, we're not okay. Other people around us aren't okay. So we try to control and we panic. I think that's the reason for a lot of anxiety, because we want perfection and we want complete satisfaction. We basically, we want heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, So when things aren't okay, it's hard for us to be okay. And then seeing that living out of my weakness instead of my strength is actually a really good place to be. But I think that is hard in our Western culture that prides itself on self-sufficiency and strength. Uh, But really, over the last few years, again and again, I just keep coming up against the reality of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then in verse 10, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. But that's so hard for us because everything in us, we want to be strong. We don't want Mm -hmm. to be weak and needy. So it just runs counter to um, our human nature. Mm Mm-hmm. But when I know my sin and live in dependence on God to give me those things is actually when I am strong. And really this process, I mean, it's been a long process, but it's it's come primarily just out of parenting and walking alongside my daughter and some of her struggles mm-hmm. and realizing that she needs to see that I am in the same boat as her. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can relay this story that happened. Um, she was already in college, but she called my phone one night. Um, She was stressed and upset. And like, as soon as we started talking, she was like, can you give the phone to dad? I was like, what? You've called my phone. Like, I I didn't understand, but she wanted to talk to my husband. And um, so that was really hard for me to understand. Like, why is she 
not wanting to talk to me. But when my husband got off the phone with her, you know, I was like, what'd she say? Why, why wasn't she talking to me? And what he helped me to see um, before he told me anything about her was that what she needed from me is for me to identify with her, not try to fix her. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I tried to defend myself and I thought that the advice that I give her was very helpful. But, you know, he's like, that's not what she needs right now. She needs to know that you're in the same boat with her as a fellow broken sinner. And of course, cognitively, I believe that I was a sinner in the same boat with her. But I was acting mm-hmm. strong and able and in her mind, perfect. Like I had it all together. Um, so I didn't feel like a very safe person that she could share and open up with her sin and weaknesses because she felt like I couldn't identify with her. Yeah. And that's when it really hit me like, Oh my gosh, like I'm trying to put on this mask of perfection, which I feel like so many of us do when really what kind of helped our relationship and, and really wins us over to, everybody is the vulnerability and when we see our sin. And mm-hmm. so I realized, gosh, it was my pride that was keeping mm-hmm. me from, from really being honest about my need. So it's just this whole idea of being weak so that I know my need um, and dependence on Jesus instead of trying to have it all together in and of myself. Yeah, man. I feel like that story just spans every uh, every age of child. I mean, even I, I feel like that exact scenario minus being on the phone has happened to me and my daughter. I mean, and she's only four, but will, you know, come to me with a, a frustration or anger. I'm just feeling this way. And when I try and give her like the pat answer of, well, you know, that's the reason why you're feeling this way because blah, 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 you know, you did this and then daddy said this and you didn't listen or whatever versus like the times where I'm a little more, you know, sensitive to what she is going through and think, okay, what's going to illustrate this more than me just like kind of like barking orders at her. Uh, And I, you know, like sometimes what I'll do is say, you know, when I was four, I remember my mom told me that I couldn't do this and it made me so sad. And then she'll, she'll, she'll like get interested and her ears will perk up and she's like, really, why did she say that? And then she'll, so, but she like is open and receptive and I can talk about like, yeah, I've been there too. I understand how you feel. I get it. And it's valid, but we still have to obey our parents or we still have to help clean up, even though I know you didn't make this mess, you know, whatever it is. And when you can identify with them instead of bark orders right away, which yes, I have the right, but does that mean that that's the most effective parenting strategy? Does that mean that I'm, you know, helping her heart to soften to obedience? You know, I, and I think when I have the patience and the presence of mind to do it that way, the result is just so much more fruitful because it's not, it's instead of just asking for, I just want obedience or I just want you to, to modify the external action. But I know the whole time her heart is like fuming, you know, and that she's like angry about it. And I'm just like, well, whatever, do what I say, you know? Right. It's just, yeah, I see that, that same principle kind of being worked out even at a young age. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when we are, are aware of our own sin and tendencies, we, we do have so much more compassion for other people in their sin. I mean, I had yeah. something happen with my son um, where he did something. And even though that's not my struggle, I still could understand that really what was driving him to do what he did was was fear of man. I mean, he wanted to be liked. He didn't want other boys to make fun of him. He wanted to be cool. Yeah. And so when I can go there and be like, 
I get that. I understand that. Like I, I want people to like me, you know? And so then it just, I mean, it doesn't mean that he didn't still need discipline, right. but I could enter in with him and understand and have compassion on him in his sin because I am in the same boat. So it's just yeah. been really beautiful to see how God has just helped that with my relationship in particular with my daughter, which I always thought we've had a good open relationship, but it's just now that I feel like I am seeing my weakness is mm-hmm. a good thing because I'm living more dependent. It's really made her, you know, see me as more human and, and she's drawn closer to me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So tell me a little bit more about what your work has looked like. So you wrote three books. Can you kind of just kind of give an overview of like how you became an author and got into writing and then, and how that has morphed into what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. So when we moved, I live in Oklahoma and we moved here from Texas when my daughter was entering middle school and she went to a large public middle school and we knew nobody here. And so I really, that's when I decided to start a small group Bible study just to kind of help, you know, find some friends for her. And when I went to the Christian bookstore and saw what was offered, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to teach? Because everything out there, which was not much, um, was just very um, topical and mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of fluff, not a lot of depth. And so I just felt like, gosh, we're missing the boat with our teenagers. And so I started taking my husband's sermons and just writing my own Bible study lessons. And that's actually what became or kind of the foundation of my first book, Get Your Story Straight, mm-hmm. which is a year-long devotional book for um boys and girls, teenagers. Um, But in the middle of that process, of the editing process, my daughter came to us and um, confided that she was struggling with an eating disorder. And so at that point, I, you know, was like, gosh, her dad's the pastor. I'm her Bible study leader. She has everything going for her. I mean, if you knew her, she was super involved in lots of activities at school, Mm -hmm. made good grades, had lots of friends. Like from the world standpoint, you would look at her and think, how is she struggling? She's got everything going for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I ended up conducting an online survey that my publisher helped send out nationwide. And I was just floored by just how many teenagers, teenagers that you wouldn't expect were struggling um, with feeling less than and worthless. And maybe, I mean, it wasn't necessarily an eating disorder, but just the same things that led to her eating disorder were the same things that teenagers were dealing with mm-hmm. that we do know a lot more about now. I mean, social media has been a big component to that. And I feel like there is just a lot more articles and things available. But at that time, that was 2014 or 15, um, there wasn't a lot. And so that led to my next book, which was FaceTime, Your Identity in a Selfie World. And that is just for um, teen girls. And it's dealing with um, the root issues. So getting below the surface of why the struggles with body image or things that lead to eating disorder and peer pressure and drinking and sex and all those teen issues, but going below the surface. Um, And then my latest book that just came out in July is a Bible study in the book of Exodus. And I'm super excited because it's the first in a series of Bible study books in the Bible, but it's being done by all different authors so we can get them out on the shelves quicker because there's just not a lot of material out there that is Bible-based for teenagers. Um, It's like I said, 
topical. So just, I, re- I really felt strongly about doing an Old Testament book because I feel like teenagers and really adults probably too don't know how to read their Bible, how to see Jesus in the scriptures. And if they don't know how to read it, then they don't understand how the gospel applies to all the ins and outs of their lives. So anyway, that's Exodus. And um, so through all this, I have started speaking a lot to parents and teenagers, and that's really just put this burden on me to see how many people are struggling. And so that's my desire to go get a counseling degree. Wow. That's really cool. When you mentioned your book FaceTime, I honestly thought like, why just teen girls? Because I feel like adult women probably need all of the truths that are in that book as well, especially those of us who have Instagram accounts and are, you know, spending any amount of our lives look like on that app. I mean, I talk about that with so many people who come on and it's a, it's an across the board. I mean, every single person that I talk to is like the same, exactly what you said, like body image issues, self-confidence, identity, these, all the same things that you know, that, that we would think teenagers and they do struggle with, I think continue to plague us even as adults, you know, I mean, especially when we don't have a solid foundation in Christ. Absolutely, I agree. And I always say that even though my books are written for teenagers, our hearts are all the same. And so an adult, in fact, my mom and her friends that are in their seventies have (laughs) gone through my books together because I mean, the examples I use are for teenagers, but I mean, it's the same application, you know, so we can look at it. And I really encourage parents to do them alongside their teenagers because I think that opens up the avenue for deeper conversation with your kids. Yeah. So I think we're kind of touching on it, but your, your redemptive parenting, I love that phrase, first of all. And I, I mean, I kind of understand it, I think, but I would love for you to kind of give a little more like flesh out that concept. What is redemptive parenting? Yeah, sure. I know when I picked that word, I'm like, I don't know if people are going to track with me here, but the word redemptive means to save someone from error or evil. So, I mean, therefore like our redemption in Jesus because he came to live and die to save us from sin or death, or you could say error and evil. But so to live redemptively for us is to reflect who Jesus is, as a giver of life and grace. It's to make confession, repentance, forgiveness, restoration, and grace our regular pattern of relating. And so to parent redemptively, I would say is to live that way with our children and to teach them the same um, so they learn their need and learn to live dependently on Christ. Mm. But also included in the idea of redemptive parenting or, or givers of life and grace to our children is taking a proactive, long-range approach to parenting, to seeing parenting as a marathon and not lose sight of all that comes in the race and like the day-to-day. It's so easy to get distracted from like the long-term, like what are we working towards? Like we're not raising, as one of my friends likes to say, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. So we need to keep this perspective of like, what is it that we're trying to do? Mm -hmm. Are we trying to, I mean, I feel like so often we get so sidetracked with like wanting them to be, you know, on all the right sports teams and get in all the right Mm -hmm. classes. And it's like, okay, but what about their hearts? Mm -hmm. Um, So we get sidetracked real easily because it is a long haul. And I know when you have little children, like to think about the teenage years and beyond just feels like so far away. And so I think it's easy to think, oh, I have time to deal with that later, or I'll get around to 
whatever it is later. Yeah. Well, then all of a sudden they're a teenager or they're graduating and you're like, ah, and I mean, I felt that way, even though we've tried to be very intentional, but when my daughter graduated, I mean, there were so many things I was like, oh my gosh, have we done this? Have we taught her this? You know, all those things. But I think that when we start going that direction, we become reactionary to everything Mm -hmm. that comes at us. And so even if our best intentions were to instruct and train and be purposeful, we get, we kind of fall by the wayside and then our kids are teenagers and we've got so many more uphill battles to fight because we didn't establish those firm foundations early on. So my idea with redemptive parenting is really to help encourage and equip all parents, but really parents of younger children, because I see that as such a crucial time of laying the foundation so that when our kids get older, we've already established this foundation for things and it, and it will make the teenage years easier. It doesn't mean it'll be trouble free, but sure, you've already done a lot of the hard work and I know it is hard work and it takes time and it's exhausting, mm-hmm. but that's why we just have to keep this long range perspective in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you say it is exhausting, I just think about the repetition that is so needed. You know, that's, that's, I think the phase we're at is just there's so much repetition of instructions, like simple instructions, even down to like, put your shoes on, put your shoes on, put your shoes on. <laughs> like I told you to put your shoes on. What are you doing? And so then when you get to things that are deeper, like that are discipline issues or heart issues, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I think I grow weary of having those conversations. I'm like, how many times do I have to tell you? But of course I know that's ridiculous because how many times does God have to tell me and I'm still sinning, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm still doing the, I'm doing the same things I've been doing my whole life. Like the, the same character or, you know, sin struggles that I have as far as like being impatient, being judgmental. Like those are the same things I struggle with, even as an adult that I did as a kid. So. Right. Well, I don't know. But, I mean, it's so exhausting to deal with discipline for sure. And I think that that's why there's the temptation to turn the blind eye blind eye mm-hmm. or to just appease them by giving into their desires. But yeah. what you're doing, the hard work and doing it again and again to help them or to help your daughter see her heart mm-hmm. rightly and to seek forgiveness and restoration. It is so worth it. I can still picture my, all my kids, but especially my daughter, we used to go through this whole little routine when we were disciplining her and talking about, you know, what Jesus did for us. And mm-hmm. so then we would get to the end and we would say, so what does that mean? And she would get so excited and she would go clean slate. So we always oh, talked about the clean slate. We never wanted to end discipline where we were at odds with each other. And so, you know, always yeah. with an embrace and just the understanding of a clean slate, like mm-hmm. Mommy loves you. Jesus loves you. We have a clean slate. That's what mm-hmm. you know, restoration is. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. But it was exhausting. I know that. But it it was definitely worth it. I mean, I've seen now in the teen years that doing that then, like my kids now, they know how to deal with their sin. They ask for forgiveness. Um, They can think deeper about their hearts and what's driving their behavior. But it all stemmed from things that we did when they were really young. Yeah. And that's our calling as parents and believers that we've been entrusted these children who are going to be, and they already are whole people, but who are going to be adults one day and the time will pass anyway. So yes, you might as well do it the right way, but it's, but it's even deeper than that. It's like, this is actually 
the commission on our lives as parents that God has really entrusted us to raise them up to know truth and to love truth. And, you know, how can they do that out in the world if they can't even do that in our homes? And I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of parents who probably know that and believe that is true, but are just like, but when the rubber meets the road, I don't know how to do that. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. What, what are the things that you would say to look at in your, in your parenting and the way that you're going about your days? Or is there any sort of like high level kind of guidelines that you could share that would help someone identify like, am I hitting any of the key areas or do I need to like do an overhaul of the way that we're handling discipline or heart issues? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. It's the heart issues. I think so often we focus on the external behavior Mm -hmm. and so we just deal with that on the surface. Like hit your brother, you're going to get disciplined. Okay. Let's back it up. Why did you hit your brother? Now, granted a two-year-old may not understand, but that's where as parents, we get to help shape the narrative. And so we help draw out the ruling idols of their hearts. And so, I, I mean, I love Deuteronomy 6 because it talks about that. We talk about these things with our children, you know, when we lie down and when we sit up and when we're walking by the way, um, but the, just the teaching precedes understanding. And so we go ahead and speak into things and create categories we're talking about these things before they actually understand it, because mm-hmm. that is what shapes their understanding. And so we've talked to our kids about the ruling idols of their hearts since they were little tiny. And of course, they didn't understand idolatry at that time, but there came a day that they did. And so I think that we need to evaluate one, we need to be able to identify our, what's going on in our own hearts. So when we snap at someone or if we, um, I don't know, feel discontent or jealous or whatever it is, like we need to trace it back down into our own hearts because if we're not in tune to what's driving, what idols are driving us, it's going to be a whole lot harder to parent that in our children. But I think that, you know, so much even of Christianity is kind of law-driven moralism and statistics show 70 to 80 percent of kids who grow up in the church leave the church when they mm-hmm. go to college and beyond but i think a lot of that 80 wow i know it's crazy but and i don't say that to scare people i say it because i feel like the focus has become instead of true christianity what is the gospel mm-hmm. um it's on moralism and we're just dealing with don't drink don't have sex you know these external behavior things instead of really getting to the heart. But when we get to the heart and we see the depth of our depravity and see these ruling idols, like why we do what we do, then our understanding of what Jesus did for us is so much greater. And we then have a greater desire to worship him. And so I've seen that with my daughter. I mean, the very first thing she did when she got to her college town was seek out a church because she knew she needed to be fed the gospel week in and week out. She knew she needed the community of other believers. And that was because she understands the depth of her heart. But if it had just been left at like surface level stuff, I think that's when kids tend to hide and become secretive with their parents because they know they're doing wrong and they don't want it found out. I mean, adult, we're the same way, adults. I mean, we put on our mask and we pretend and we push it down and we hide it. And at some point with these kids that are leaving the church, it's just 
why I continue to go be entertained when I feel guilty. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've just never dealt with the heart. So, yeah. Or like, or who think they are keeping up appearances because they're not doing any of those external behaviors, like you mentioned, and then really are just kind of living as if the Pharisees, like that's, that's yeah. what you've created is like a little Pharisee who is like walking, <laughs> walking the walk and, you know, and, and all of that. And, and maybe they really aren't, partying or maybe they're not really doing drugs, but at the same point, like, is like God cares about their heart. And so, yeah, I really, I think that is so, so huge and something I absolutely experienced even in my, you know, as a kid grew up very much, I think in a environment, you know, not by my parents' choice or, you know, intention, but just very focused more kind of on the external and behaviors because then I saw later in my young adulthood, exactly what you're describing, just kind of a departing from truth because I didn't have, it wasn't really, I guess it wasn't really about the heart for me when I was abiding by all the rules, keeping the rules, doing everything right. I wasn't doing it really out of like a love for God. I was doing it because I knew that it was, I knew that that was the way to make my parents happy. I knew that was the way to get, you know, to have all my teachers love me because I went to a private school and it was very, it was very easy to stand out if you were kind of just moral and, you know, involved in FCA and involved in all these ministry, you know, doing all the things that a Christian teenager does and going to youth group and all of that. But I, I look back and see that I don't know that my, I mean, I think at points my heart was in it, but I think there was a lot of times where it was just like, this is what I have to do. And it was like a do or die. And so when I did mess up and when I did sin, I was not able to be honest or forthright with my parents because I was like, I'm, you know, like I had no, I had no category for a Christian who was also like living in sin. Do you know what I mean? I, I, it was like, I shouldn't have done that. And so I literally, no one can know instead of I'm really struggling and I know that I'm going to struggle and I need God's grace. You know what I mean? It was just a very different. different Yes. I mean, everything you've said, I'm like, amen to that because it is so true. I mean, the Pharisee, Pharisee type kids and adults have done more damage in the church. And I feel like the church should be the safest place. Christians Mm -hmm. should be the safest place for someone to go to in their brokenness and sin. Mm -hmm. But sadly, because of what you just said, they're not. And so we don't go to the church or to our Christian friends Mm -hmm. because of the response that we fear we might get or we have gotten. And so then we end up leaving. And um, my daughter, I mean, I feel like we've probably all experienced that, but Mm -hmm. in her struggles, that has been like the friends that have been the most judgmental have been Christians. It's like they they don't see their own sin. It might not be the same as hers, but just the, the pride. And even what I was talking about at the beginning, just learning my weakness, you know, I mean, I haven't struggled in the same ways as all my, my children, but but gosh, my pride is just as sinful. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the key is like, for me, I, I want to make sure that I'm saying things like that to my daughter. Like, for instance, if she sees another kid hit someone at preschool and she's like, well, this kid hit that kid today. I'm like, man, that wasn't very nice, was it? But do you sometimes feel anger in your heart and kind of wish you could hit someone, even if you don't really do it? Do you ever feel like that? I guarantee you, you know, her answer will be like, yes. <laughs> like it's, it's the same thing. Like even if we don't do the, the action, even if we aren't actually hitting, God still sees our heart. And that's the thing that, it, that he's most concerned with. Like 
he should get in trouble or she should be, you know, the teacher should tell them to stop doing that thing. But let's look at ourselves and realize that we are also guilty of that very, you know, of that very same sin. And, and just that, you know, I mean, it's in the 10 commandments. Like if you have hate in your heart, you have murdered. And I think we just, it just shows, it really does um, reveal a lack of understanding for the gospel when we can't look at our sin for what it is and say, yeah, I'm totally and completely ruined and wrecked. And I'm not better just because I'm not the one out there committing all of these like very external or obvious or, or noticeable sins. I'm really no better and I'm not in a better position. So I have nothing to protect. So I can be honest about my struggles. I can be honest about my heart and how much I need God. And like you said, parenting out of weakness. And then that opens it up for them to come to us and go, yeah, I'm weak too. <laughs> like we all need God's grace. And it doesn't mean we glory in our sin, you know, which I'm sure you could speak to that, but, but you, you, if you don't see your sin, how can you see how big the savior is? Do you know, if, if you don't have a right understanding of your sin, you don't really think that what Jesus did was that valuable. You know, exactly right. Our understanding of our sin it will be the rise and fall of the cross, you know, to mm-hmm. whatever degree we see our sins. So, yes. And um, so I really, I believe we do such a disservice when we talk about, oh, she's such a good Christian, or we're just basing it on, you know, oh, she goes to all these Bible studies. And I mean, we have no idea what's going on in yeah. people's hearts. As far as, you know, just our own parenting, I think that we really need to evaluate, you know, what is it that we're we're looking towards? Are we correcting our kids just on their behavior because we don't want them to look good or are we dealing with their hearts? And then I think if, if it's, we want them to look good, I think that ties back to our own identity and idols. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it we want them to look so good? Because we want to look good. We don't want other people to judge us. I mean, I think for parents, that is such a struggle. Mm-hmm. So many that we do is because we fear that, you know, we'll look like a bad mom or that our kid is going to get behind if we don't give them these extra opportunities. And so instead of doing, you know, something maybe radical by not joining a competitive sports team Mm -hmm. or not spending the night out on Saturday night, whatever it is, I mean, I don't want to be law based at all in what I'm saying, but I mean, we just need to evaluate for ourselves. Like why do we do the things we do or don't Mm -hmm. do the things we don't do? So, kind of shifting gears, what would parents ask of themselves or what might they see in their kids that would help them identify if they're parenting in a redemptive way? Like, how can they tell? Oh yeah, that's a really good question. And I I mean, I do want to be clear that what I'm proposing with redemptive parenting is not by any means a fail-free formula. Mm -hmm. I am definitely not a formula, but, um, I think that there are some things, I mean, we do reap what we sow. And I mean, Bible talks about that, that, um, so I think being intentional, we will hopefully see by God's grace fruit. So some of that fruit that I'm seeing with my kids, I mean, and like I said, my daughter is 20. So it's a long, again, just that idea of parenting being a marathon. It's a long time. And so sometimes we don't see fruit for a really long time, but, um, I do in her life. I see such evidence of God's grace. I mean, she knows her heart. She grieves over her sin. She understands her need um, for the body of Christ and for the preached word, just the things that she is choosing to how she's choosing to spend her time, her desire for others to know the Lord, um, what she does, you know, with, with her sin and how she approaches conflict with roommates. Um, So I just see all of that is, kind of results of 
how we have parented her to live redemptively. Like we're talking about living redemptively in our families with our kids. Like I see her now living redemptively with friends and instead of sweeping conflict under the rug, dealing honestly with it, because truly a a deeper friendship and relationship is going to grow working out uh, struggles in a redemptive manner in the same way our marriages do. I mean, we hate to have conflict and fights with our husbands, but once we get through that in a, in a way where we're, you know, giving and getting grace, then we grow closer. We're normally closer on the other side of that. Um, So I see that happening with her things like with my boys, because of foundational things we put in place early on, I don't see them now. Like when I say no, no, the answer is no. Or there's lots of things that they don't even ask me because they know that we're not going to do that. For instance, this just happened um, back in December. It was the winter formal and there was going to be a co-ed summer party. And so another mom called me to ask if, you know, if I'd heard about it and I hadn't even heard of it. And so of course, when I hung up with her, I asked my son and he was like, well, I didn't even ask you because I knew that I wasn't doing that. And so, whereas I feel like in other situations, (laughs) I see kids that are just like wearing their parents down. Like, I don't know if nagging is the right word, but you know, badgering them is the right word. Like, Mm -hmm. please, can I go? Can I do this? Can I do this? And, and instead of the parent saying no, then the the child knows because of the Mm -hmm. history, you know, if they've been yeah. used to getting their parents to give in, then they know, okay, if I keep doing this long enough, then my mom's going to give in. But so I feel like those are things that I don't have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, perfectly, but my kids know because those yeah. are things that are in place early on. Do you feel like, I mean, how early are we talking? Cause like, I know there's a mom who is listening, who is like, my kids nag me for snacks when we're out in public and to keep them from breaking down, I give them the goldfish, even though, they just had breakfast and I like them to wait for lunch. I mean, how, I mean, how far would you take that? You know, cause I, I know you're not like encouraging legalism or whatever, but you know, how do we, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I, I totally hear you on that because I believe me. I know sometimes you just got to give that kid the goldfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want parents to give themselves great in that too. We are not going to do it all perfectly. I've certainly, there have been times that mm-hmm. I've given in to, and there's thankfully grace for sure, our right. failures too. And, you know, God's going to shape our kids despite our failures. But I think that really kind of thinking more about the, I don't know, bigger picture things like, um, for instance, in our family, uh, or what I've, things that I've seen, like it's real easy. Once you open the door to something, it becomes a slippery slope. So if you say, oh, well, we're just going to miss church this one Sunday because there's a slumber party, then okay. But then it becomes easier the next time your kid asks for yeah. to like, I mean, the kid is then going to say, well, you let me go last time. Yeah. And then, you know what I'm saying? So I think mm-hmm. it's more on those kind of issues, like really thinking about the long term. That's why I'm calling it yeah. proactive, intentional, because otherwise we're reacting and we're going, oh, shoot. Yeah, I'd let you do it then and then and then. And now how do I go backwards and say, right. no, it's a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and teaching them, I guess, kind of like, this is what our family does. Like whether other people do that is not my concern. That's not what we do, you know? And I, I mean, I'm already dealing with that with only a four-year-old because there's a lot of kids in her class that say, oh my God, um, at four, 
And Mm -hmm. so she has said that several times at home. I've been like, oh my God. And I'm just like, what? Excuse me. So, and, but she doesn't know it's bad or wrong until I tell her, no, we do not say that. You can say, oh my gosh, but you cannot say, oh my God, that's taking God's name in vain. We're not going to talk that way. And then I'm like, who said, who says that? Like, where did you hear that? And then I found out it was kids from school. I'm like, okay, I don't care what they say. You're not allowed to say that. I mean, ever you, that's not, that's not acceptable. And, you know, and she knows, but sometimes I'll still see her like kind of push me, you know, and push the limit. Like, I mean, she'll say it and then look at me like, gosh, you know, like she just knows it's wrong, but she just kind of wants to be just like them. And I'm like, that is, that's the same, the the same root in our heart, you know, whether it's that or it's, you know, go into the co-ed sleep over it in junior year, whatever it is, you know, it's just crazy. Um, it's the same route. And so, yeah, I know your son didn't go or even ask about it, which is like something to be proud of. I think that's really amazing that I yeah, mean, I you probably were like cheering at that moment. Like, yes, you, you did. I was, awesome. I was very thankful. Now, I mean, something may happen next week and I'm going to be like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. still, yes, I agree. And that's really what we just have to keep in mind is those, those longer term things that are hard. And like you said that, you know what, everybody might not be doing the same thing and that's okay. We're just, we're worried. You're our child and I am your shepherd and this is what our family does. And I have, because my husband's a pastor, I always had to distinguish for our kids that, we're not doing this just because dad's a pastor. This is our calling as a believer. And so that was something unique for our family because I didn't want my kids to ever think, oh, well, that's just because I'm a pastor's kid or we have to do this. I wanted them to understand that, no, this is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. been you know, something that I've worked really hard for them to see and that it's not just because dad's a pastor. Right. Are there any differences that you think a parent would see in their kids if they're kind of just parenting for the outcome or for the behavior, like, I guess I'm thinking of, again, my daughter and she has, you know, this is normal behavior for a four-year-old, but like go to the pantry to sneak a cookie or sneak something that I, t- I said she couldn't have um, mm-hmm. and then hide it from me. And then like, be like, if I'm like, what's in your hand, nothing, you know, and we have a pantry lock now, so that's no longer <laughs> an issue. But um yeah. And the hard like, thing like is hiding shame awareness. I mean, those are things that are associated with sin. Right. But I just, I don't know. I mean, well, and you're right. And the hard thing is we don't know when they're right. being <laughs> sneaky and hiding things, but I do think that that is the pattern that develops when we haven't parented redemptively because there is that shame and there is that, mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier, the desire maybe to please or to look good on the outside and to, you know, not be suspected as not doing the things right. And so, um, just from leading the Bible study of the girls that I led for so long, I really learned that most kids don't talk very openly to their parents. There's a lot that's hidden. And I think parents, sometimes it's just naive or they don't know the questions to ask. But I think a lot of times it's, they're assuming their kids are doing all the right things because on the outside, it does look that way, but their kid is hiding a lot. Mm -hmm. And so that's hard because we don't see that in our kid, you know? Yeah. But I think that we need to be, I mean, as sinners, we're going to sin. And so we shouldn't be shocked at sin. And so, I, I mean, just that's another thing that I've wanted my kids to know that really there's no taboo topic. Like I want yeah. us to be able to talk about these things and that I want them to be able to 
to come with me with no shame. Um, so developing that early on in our household has been really important, but I don't see that happening with most kids just because things that kids have said to my daughter, even like, oh, I wish I could say that to my mom, that she would kill me if she knew or, you know, this kind of thing. Do you think it's like, do you think it had, this is, you know, part of where kids get their perception of what's okay to talk to their parent about and what isn't is their parents' reaction to things when they hear about them. Like, I mean, I remember as a kid kind of gauging my parents' reaction, like, well, you know, wow, I heard this girl was doing this and based on their reaction, like kind of, okay, this is the category. This is either like, you know, not that bad or really bad or, you know, and so then like, I think I just formed my own like opinion, sort of my own little belief system or, or worldview of like what was morally um, gray area or black and white. And, and it was largely based, not largely, but I think it, that uh, did play into it, like their perception or their reaction to what I said, which Definitely. I'm not saying that that's like all on the parent, but there's a part of it that, you know, would maybe make the the child think now, if that ever happens to me, like for instance, you know, sex outside of marriage and now you're pregnant. If your daughter knows that you think that's the worst sin she could possibly commit, is she going to believe that she could come to you or is she going to think she has to take care of it on her own and just find her own solution? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm worried about as a, as a parent of a daughter. Like I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm not saying like that we don't say it's sin, but how do we identify it as sin, but still let them know that they don't have to fear coming to us with those things that they need help with. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yes. And I think that, you know, I mean, a couple things, one, how we treat other people in their sin, if they mm-hmm. see us regularly coming alongside other people, whether it's adults mm-hmm. or younger people, in their sin, then they're going to feel a lot safer to be able to share with us because they've seen how we've treated other people. And I do think that a lot of times they do kind of test us in a sense by mm-hmm. throwing something out there about a classmate or friend to see how we're going to react, mm-hmm. kind of test the waters like, oh, okay, I'm going to tell my mom about these kids that were smoking vapes mm-hmm. and see what she does. Mm-hmm. Then they'll kind of know like, oh, okay, I know I'm not going to tell her anymore. Right, Um, right. So I do think we have to kind of get our poker face and and listen and not be judged. I mean, yes, we want to communicate godliness, but again, it's coming from the heart and not so I want to tie it back to always getting to what's what's driving that and, and therefore, you know sex outside of marriage. Yes, that's bad, but it's, it's not any worse than anything else. And so let's get to why, why, you know, why do you think that that girl went outside, you know, had sex? Well, she was, she wanted to be loved. She wanted affirmation. She wanted acceptance. And so having those kind of conversations where our kids then by having those conversations, maybe about other people, which we do that we have, especially when my daughter was still in high school, like things that we would, I would see on Instagram. I'd be like, why do you think that she posted that? Or what do you think that picture was about? Um, so that we could around the table talk about, like, I think that she was looking for affirmation. And so mm-hmm. then our kids learn, identify those driving desires yeah. in our own hearts. To yeah. Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it's because it's true. Like it is the, the very same 
drivers that drive us to post the selfie or post the, the fake picture that's, you know, perfectly posed to pretend like our life is ideal or, or some utopia is the same thing that would drive someone to six outside of marriage. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of all gets down to the same root issues of like, I want to be known and loved and accepted. And, you know, whether I think I need to post a fake photo to do that or sleep with someone, you know, it's, it's the hard issue that I think we're talking about. You know, it's really important for us to always be bringing it back to that. And yeah, I think that's a really good principle that can really apply to any parent, no matter how old your kids are. Absolutely. And from here, it's talking about ourselves. Like when we're struggling, like, mm-hmm. uh, I really was been feeling insecure right now. I mean, for them to hear us having those conversations is good for them to, again, to see our vulnerability and our weakness and our, I mean, again, we're just in the same boat. And so we struggle in those same, same ways. And so then we became, we become safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. You are, you mentioned your, the Bible verse, the second Corinthians twelve nine. Is there any other kind of evidence in the Bible that you see for parenting this way that has kind of influenced your, I guess, own methods with your own family and, and practices? Yeah. I mean, the Bible is the one story about God's rescue and redemption of his people. Um, it's not a rule book. It's not a self-help book or a moral guide. And so I think when we read it through the lenses of Christ, um, when he's our focus, who he is for us, and um, therefore who I am in him because of his work and worth, it drives me deeper into seeing him and his grace. And again, living redemptively, we see the redemption that we have in Christ. And then that then drives us to live redemptively with others, to love as he loves. So I think that the whole Bible sets out that type of pattern. But again, if we use it as more of a rule book, um, I think that that is going to influence how we parent, you know, more law driven. And so I think how we see the Bible, how we understand the gospel is so important because it will influence how we see the world and how we parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really true. So if you want to, who's, you, you'll know who quoted this. I think it was like, if you want to parent well, love, love God or love God and you will parent well. Have you heard that Ooh, quote? That quote. No. Okay. I don't, I don't know where I saw that. I need to do the research to find, but I, I think of that often just that, yeah, like exactly what you're saying. If we do know the truth and love God's word, we, we will err on the side of speaking the gospel instead of speaking the law to them. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And giving grace. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's so much of it is that so much parenting is kids are afraid of their parents and there's just that fear. So it's the fear to, to, for perfection, fear for performance, fear of being found out. And so, so parent uh, kids act out of a fear driven basis um, when they don't know the grace um, that we've given them and the love and acceptance of, of God. Yeah, it's really good. Do you have any life hacks or mom tips that kind of just have made your life easy over the years or in, in different seasons? Well, okay. I will tell you this. I, I mean, I am super organized, so this comes naturally to me, but it's been very helpful. I do laundry on Mondays and Thursdays. Mm. Oh, good. A laundry tip. I need help with that. Just know to bring your laundry baskets to the laundry room on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And then they pick it up out of the laundry room on, you know, Monday afternoon, Thursday night. They 
put it away, they bring it back down. If it's not in the laundry room, it doesn't get done. So um, just having routine like that, it just helps my household run smoothly. They know I go to the grocery store on Monday. If something needs to be bought, it goes on the grocery list prior to Monday. So just little things that help streamline things. Like everybody in the house knows my patterns. And I know not everybody can be as scheduled as that, but it really helps me keep things running when I have a lot of balls in the air um, yeah. when everybody knows like this is when things get done and you know I don't have to think about it and I don't have to think about laundry on a different day I mean it just it happens on those days and That's I awesome. preset my washer so it's like I have a load done before I even get up normally. That's awesome. Look forward to the day when all of my children can fold their own clothes. We're getting the four-year-old there. She she has, uh, yeah, that was her instruction during quiet time was fold your clothes. And she's like, but there's so many. And I was like, well, you know, someday you're going to have your own house and I want to make sure you know how to take care of it. So this is where we're yeah. starting. Well, it's um, important for kids to, to help out in the household, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, it is. Okay. So, and then uh, what do you do for fun? Well, I love to exercise. To me, that is just part of my routine again, Mm -hmm. but it's also fun for me. And it is where, especially as a writer, writing is so isolating that it's, I feel like when I get out to run or to go to the gym, whatever it is, it just releases those endorphins. It just kind of gets me back into a place where I have new, fresh ideas. So I love, I love to be outside. I don't live in a place where I can just go hiking, but like, I would love to be in a place like Colorado where I could just walk out my back door and do that. But travel is something I love. So any kind of adventure. Okay, fun. And then uh, how do you rest? Um, I rest probably in the same way. To me, I mean, I know working out doesn't sound restful to most yeah. people, but like that, like that is how I just kind of decompress. I also, yeah. I love to read. So in the evenings or especially on Sunday, I try not to have to do like my graduate school work now or when I've been in the middle of book writing. I try not to have to do that on Sundays so that I can maybe just read a book for pleasure. And that helps me mm-hmm. to rest, have a different day. Yeah, I'm the same way. I totally rest by working out as well. And just having like time where I'm not being productive, really. any Anything I'm doing that is not getting things done off my list, even though working out could be considered productivity, it's it's kind of not to me. That's, yeah. you know... I forgot. We're both at Enneagram 3, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we are. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not as organized as you at life. So I feel like that is, yeah, one area that I would like. I wish that I was a little more organized, but I'm more just like, I think I'm more, are you a three wing two or three wing four? Uh, I don't really know. Okay. I don't know. I I guess I I'm the four. So I was looking for like why that would be, but it could just be personality. But, um, so I'm like, uh, I don't have a schedule for laundry. So I just mostly look at when the basket is full and that could be, you know, once a week or it could be twice a week. I don't know. I don't keep track of it. And then I like in for our laundry and then I bring it in there start it, usually forget it for a whole day, then put it in the dryer. So it's just like, I, and that's, I'm kind of like, well, maybe that's just because I'm like the artist. And I think, you know, I, I'm the only one who knows how this could, you know, when my laundry is ready and there's no schedule that could work for this. And that's not really true, but you know, I'm the, the four is like the artist and they think that like they're, they're kind of hard to understand or like nobody gets them. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying I'm to justify it, but, <laughs> but yeah, 
Yeah. Oh man. Well, Kristen, I feel like I could probably chat with you forever about just all of the wisdom that you've, you know, gleaned over your years of parenting. So how can people follow you and continue to learn from you and hear all this awesome advice that you have? No, thank you. I've loved visiting with you. Well, I am on Instagram under my name, Kristen Hatton, but also Redemptive Parenting. Mm -hmm. Also have a website, Kristen Hatton and on Facebook, but hoping really to develop the Redemptive Parenting. And like I said, come out with some videos that I would love to see moms gather in living rooms and watch it together and discuss it. Because I think that having community um, to do redemptive parenting is so key. It's hard. I mean, parenting is so hard, but it's just, it's really hard when you're parenting upstream by yourself. Yeah. So um, having other like-minded people to that want to live redemptively also so key. So I'd like to see it, you know, worked out in community. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much. This has been awesome. And I'm glad I got to know you a little bit better. And I'm excited for people to connect with your resources and just get, um, you know, more of your kind of teaching and more of your help, because I know this is something that we all need. Well, thank you. I appreciate you so much having me on. It was fun to chat with you. Yes. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you guys for hanging in there. I know that was a long one, but I hope it was worth every second of your time. Next week, I'm going to be chatting with the Ruth experience, which is actually three amazing ladies. And we're talking about living generously. So definitely don't miss next week. Okay. Here goes third time's the charm. I'm going to try and record a request for ratings and reviews on iTunes because the other two were so cheesy. I had to delete them. You guys, I would love to get to a hundred reviews by May 1st. It's March 25th as your as this episode airs. And on iTunes, Kindled has 59 reviews. So you have a little more than a month. If you have not left a rating or review, please do so. Tell me on Instagram that you did, and I will send you a million emojis and say thank you so much. And just be so pleased. So uh, I would really appreciate it, you guys. Thank you again. I'm probably going to have to just keep saying this every episode, but you know that I appreciate you and I want the world to... Yep, here we go again. Okay, I'm going to be done. Bye now.